been a <clears throat> uh, difficult year health-wise. We had closed out the year in December. We had uh, some respiratory issues. January, we had the stomach flu go through our house. And then Wednesday, I had strep. And now all the kids, well not all of them, but three, three-fifths of them are coughing, think it's allergies, but uh, you pray for us. <clears throat> it's real hard. you got a lot of things you feel like the Lord's leading you to do. About the time you get started, you get laid up, and you can't really get going. And uh, so pray for us. I know you do. I know you have been. Continue to do so. I know some of you, if you're not going through uh, some things of that nature, maybe it's something else, and or you're dealing with it with, with family or friends or what have you. About time you get, you feel like you're out of the woods, you feel like you're right back in the woods, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So let's pray for one another. Mm-hmm. And, and that the Lord would help us, above all, with spiritual matters. Pray for one another in spiritual matters. Uh, turn, if you would, this morning to, I, I kind of want to start in Romans 13, and then really we're going to be head over to Luke, but let's turn to Romans 13. <clears throat> I want to deal with four needful things this morning, and <clears throat> and I want, I want to uh, kind of in light of knowing what time it is. Knowing what time it is. Come on in. We're in Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter 13. And again, I want to speak on four needful things. Uh, Romans 13 and beginning at verse... 11. Paul writing to the saints at Rome, he says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We've been using that concept of knowing what time it is. And knowing that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is nigh at hand. It's more so today than I feel ever before in my lifetime. Not simply because time has passed by, but because you see events and God's time clock literally taking place before our eyes. Possibly as never before in my lifetime, maybe in some of yours. But I want you to look here, if you turn over to Luke chapter 9... 
these four needful things. The first one I want to note is that Jesus is the Christ. That's the first thing. In Luke chapter 9, and I want to read verse 18, 19, and 20. And if you only take one of four things away from this, I I trust this will be it. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And that's, that's the way a lot of people still treat Jesus today. That He's just a, a prophet. That He's, he's someone uh, of the Lord. But they don't uh, take Him. Come on in, just find a seat. We're in Luke chapter 9, verse 18 is where we're at. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And we're looking here this morning at four great things, four needful things. And the first one is Jesus Christ. And we read here in Luke 9, 18 and 19, again, Jesus asked, He says, Whom say the people that I am? And there's a lot of answers that people give today. Some are still saying, well, he's just one of the prophets. He's, he's a great prophet. He's a great teacher, but that's all that he is. But I want you to observe here next, he says to verse, in verse 20, and this is really the question, isn't it? Luke 9 and verse 20, he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? See, the first question is, what do the people say? But then the real question is, who do you think that Jesus is? And the reality is, is that it's a very personal question. And eternity, and really right now, as well as eternity, depends on your answer. And the Bible tells us, Simon Peter answered, Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And we have this in other Passages of Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, he says, he says, who do, who do men say that I am? And Peter responds, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus expounds his answer, says, you know, you've said well. He said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which art in heaven, he's the one that revealed it to you. And what I want you to observe here that this is who Jesus is. He's the Christ. Amen. He is the anointed, the chosen of God. He was the promised Messiah that would come, and now He has come. He's the one of whom God spoke of in Genesis 3 unto Adam and the woman when Adam and the woman had sinned, and sin had entered the world through the disobedience of one man. And the Bible tells us that He spoke of Him as the seed of the woman. This is Him. Who would come and bruise the serpent's head, and Bruce is healed. This is him. This is the same one of whom Abel, when he offered his sacrifice, pictured. This is the same one of whom 
The Bible tells us that Abraham saw his day afar off and rejoiced. It's the same one. Now, we see him, we look back. We have all these fulfilled prophecies, all the record of God concerning him that would be fulfilled up to this point concerning Christ is taking place. There's some yet to be fulfilled, and that's because God had their future ones to be fulfilled still. Look over in John chapter 6, if you would. Knowing what time it is, you need to not just know that Jesus is the Christ, but you need to know Him as the Christ, as your Savior. He must be your Savior. In John 6 and verse 69, let's go ahead and back up to verse 67. Jesus had been preaching some things. One of the things that He had preached was that I am the bread of life. He said, you know that manna that fell down in the wilderness all those years that fed your your ancestors? He said, that was a type of me. He said, that was bread that came down from heaven. But He said, I am the bread of life. If you eat of Me, you'll never hunger. And in John 6 and verse 67... He had preached these things and the Bible says, verse 66, from that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. All these were hard sayings. And the Bible tells us in verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, or answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it wasn't just, well, I believe this. He said, no, we believe and are sure. It was an unshakable faith. It was fact. It was knowledge. But it wasn't just knowledge in their head. It was knowledge in His heart. There are a lot of people who know the facts of Scriptures and yet they've died and gone to hell. And there's a lot of folks who don't know a great deal about Scriptures, but they know Jesus as Savior, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they've gone to be with Him. The Bible gives us great detail about Jesus being the Christ. I read somewhere in a book that if you fill the state of Texas with quarters, I forget how high, and you were trying to find just one specific quarter, you have a greater probability of finding that quarter than of one person fulfilling all the prophecies of Christ. That's very staggering to think about. The fact that the Scriptures declare Him as such We have evidence of His works. We have evidence of the Scriptures. We have the voice from God from on high, the Spirit of God descending upon Him in the form of a dove, the witness of the apostles, even the witnesses witnesses of those who crucified Him, that He was and is the Son of God. If you look over to Acts chapter 4, 
Again, I, I like my father, I've learned to say it's one of my favorite passages, but they're all my favorite. But in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, I like this one. It's very uh, concise, very clear in what God is saying. And knowing what time it is, we exhort you to turn from your ways and turn unto the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved. In Acts 4 and verse 12, it says, Now when they saw the boldness, I'm sorry, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no one else of whom we have been instructed to believe in that you might be saved. All of the writers of the Scriptures point unto Jesus consistently as the only way of salvation. And this is not some easy believism, some, you know, uh, uh, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. This is a turning unto God, repenting of sin, and wholeheartedly trusting in Christ to, to grant you life eternal. This is not a testing of the water. It's a full jumping in. It's a relying on Him for everything. You notice as well, if you look in the book of Acts chapter 16, we have this instruction. This is from... The Apostle Paul and Silas, as they spoke unto the Philippian jailer, we recently preached from this, but I want to read it yet again. He says, the jailer, they'd come in, they had been bound, they had uh, uh, prayed and sang hymns, there was an earthquake at midnight, the doors had sprung open miraculously. The jailer thought everybody had left and he went to fall on his sword as he had uh, surmised that he had been derelict in his duty, Paul cried out to him not to hurt himself. And he came in in verse 30, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That is the same message in every book of the Bible. Amen. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the most consistent message in all the world. It has been that way from Genesis all the way through Revelation as far as the Bible goes. But in history, from the very beginning, we have been told to believe on the only begotten of the Father. And thou shalt be saved. The Bible testifies that Christ is the one who God would send to pay the remission for the sins of the world and that believing on Him, <coughs> excuse me, we might have eternal life. You need to know that. Amen. Knowing what time it is, and the best I can do is make you wise unto salvation, but you need to believe. You need to rely and trust on that. You need to believe in Him that what He did at Calvary 
that God has accepted. He's not accepted anything else for the payment of sin. Your good works, my good works, nothing will meet that requirement. Only the blood of Christ is the remission for the sins of many. That's it. And He took His blood, and the Bible tells us that He resurrected Him, giving us evidence He was raised again for our justification to pronounce to us that He accepted what was done at Calvary. You know anybody else? who is, was dead and now is currently alive forevermore. I mean, even Lazarus, he died. He's in the grave. His body's in the grave. Christ isn't. Amen. That's the first thing. That's the mo- I mean this. That's the most important thing. The second thing I'd like you to note, knowing what time it is, If you look over into the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, and I I don't have anything new to say. I don't think I'll ever have anything new to say because God is not revealing anything new. It might be new to you, it might be new to me, but it's not new. But I'd like you to notice in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, I'd like you to notice that the Lord still has His church. From the day that He established it on this earth, when He took the material that John the Baptist prepared, Christ having prayed, I believe, some differ with me, that's okay, but I believe that these apostles were the first church members. I believe He took them, Bible says that uh, they were first in the church. Some like to say, well, they were the first officers. Well, okay. But I'd like you to notice here in Matthew 16 and verse 17 and 18, Jesus answered and said unto him, this is again uh, the same that we read in Luke earlier, Jesus answered unto him, Blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, meaning himself, he said, Peter, you're a a small stone. But upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church. He's still building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us He has my assembly. We know that this word church in the Greek is ecclesia or ecclesia, and it means assembly. And there were already other assemblies in the day of Christ. There were town hall assemblies, there were governmental assemblies, there were probably other groups that had their own assemblies. Christ said, I will build my assembly. And He said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know that this is the only, for lack of a better word, institution that God ever said that about? He never said that about a country. 
I know a lot of people are uh, really, I think some of them like the United States better than they do the Lord's church. But I got news for you. This country may cease Amen. before His church. Amen. And if we don't repent as a nation, I will not be surprised. I do not cheer for it. I do not root for it. But we had better repent. Amen. I will say this, that His church, as we said... Is the only thing he ever said the gates of hell would not prevail against. You don't find that terminology. You don't find that language of anything else. If you look over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible is very clear, very plain on so many things. So many like to muddy the water. So many like to uh, turn things into what they're not. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us there's a a series of ones, if you would here. And in verse 4, the Lord begins with, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. Now a lot of folks like to use this to say that, well, see, there's one universal, invisible church. Well, how can you have one universal, invisible body? We studied out the Lord's church some some months ago, and we spent a long time. We went through a lot of things in Scriptures. We went through the history of the Lord's kind of a church. And we saw very plainly and clearly every metaphor that Jesus and the Holy Spirit ever used about the church was what? Local and visible. He called it a flock. You ever hear of a universal flock of sheep? Ever hear of, of, of all the sheep in the world being referred to as a flock? No. How about when he said... It is the pillar and ground of the truth. You ever hear of a, of, a, of a pillar being a universal pillar? Nope. I mean, we got some pillars out here. You go outside of that, that, that uh, the walkways, you go out the front doors and you've got that overhang. You say, well, this pillar here, does that mean every pillar in the world? No, it's this specific one. So every... Every metaphor, without exception, about the the church of the living God is local and visible. There is zero reference to a universal church in the Bible. There is zero reference to everyone who's saved being a member of the Lord's church. He says there is one body, meaning there's just one kind of body. There's one kind of my church. Now, there's those who've tried to duplicate it, replicate it, but they can't quite get it right, can they? Because only the Lord can make His church. 
And as we look at the Scriptures, this is not to say that His churches have not gone into error. No doubt some have even had candlesticks or lampstands removed. But He said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He promised perpetuity to His church. He promised a continual existence even saying that until the end of the age, he would be with his church. Well, if he's going to be with his church till the end of the age, then it stands to reason that his church is going to be here until the end of the age. Else he would be a liar. And we already discussed last Sunday, preached on the very fact that he cannot lie. Now this church of His never needed to be reformed. There have been times when churches of His needed to be revived, needed to be corrected, needed to respond to His Word, and needed to return to their first love. There are times when His church And this locale or that locale needed to repent. But she never had to be reformed. She still doesn't need to be reformed. His church, as we said, is a local visible body of scripturally baptized believers authorized under the authority of another New Testament church. And she has been given a commission by the Lord. He is the head of the church. He is to have the preeminence in the church. It is the place where He is to be exalted, worshipped, glorified, magnified, and all others should not have any glory in His presence. This is the place where He comes and meets with us. This is where He comes and assembles with us and walks in the midst of this church. It's where He comes to be worshipped. It's where He comes to strengthen us. Why, eight days after He was... He was... uh, uh, He rose again from the dead. Do you remember? Or even the day He rose from the dead. Do you remember the message He preached? Peace. He went inside the closed doors, Thomas not being there, and he preached peace unto his church. Read that in the Gospel of John chapter 20. Then he met with them eight days later. And there's times that the Lord will come and He'll he'll rebuke us. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 16, He rebuked them with their unbelief. Yeah, that happens in the Lord's church that we get rebuked, doesn't it? There's also great exhorting, great beseeching, great comforting. It's a place where Christ is exalted and man is abased. And if man is ever exalted, may God help us.
It's a place where God delights to put His name. It's a place where He delights to meet with His people. It's a place where His gospel is to go forth from. It's not a place where it is to be retained. It's a place where His word is to be treasured. A place where it's to be declared as well as heard, received, believed, and then acted upon. The Lord's church is a place where He receives the tithes and offerings. It's a place where He receives worship. It's a place where He exhorts saved sinners, those who are born again, to unite with and follow hard after Him. So this is the Lord's church and knowing what time it is we need to know not only what the Lord's church is but what she does, what her functions are and to fulfill them. Thirdly, if you turn over to the Gospel of John chapter 14 again four great things or four needful things Jesus is the Christ Secondly, we noted the Lord's church. Thirdly, that Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. A lot of folks don't believe this. Some think He's come all He's going to come. I, 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 I don't know how you can function as a Baptist preacher and believe that He's come all He's going to come. I mean, if this is it, that's certainly not what the Bible declares. I'm not a very smart individual, yet we see here in God's Word, it says in John 14:1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions, or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I believe that's true about everything. If it were not so, he would tell us. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. For who? Those who believed on the Lord. And if I go and prepare a place for you, if I go and prepare a place for you who believed on me, I will come again. But notice he didn't stop there, did he? And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Isn't that the desire of every child of God? To be where Christ is. And I'm not talking about, you know, people today, I hear it, from folks, I even hear it from some Baptists say, "Oh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just sick of the world, sick of the way the government's being, the wickedness, all this stuff. I want to go home and be with Jesus." You don't sound like you actually want to go and be with Jesus. You sound like you just want to get away from this other stuff. And I get that, but I don't also think that people understand what all is going to take place when Jesus comes again. 
For you and I who are saved, we sing that hymn sometimes, you know, when my life's work is ended. It's over. There's no more to build on your foundation. Now, let's, let's, let's imagine, and I don't think it's very difficult to imagine, but let's imagine if the Lord came today. How do you feel about what you've built on your foundation? Christ is the foundation. And you've been building on it since the Lord saved you. And the Bible tells us that when God, the Lord comes, I know people say, oh, He's going to wipe all my tears away. You know where some of these tears are going to come from? At the judgment seat of Christ. When you lose some rewards. I know where I'm going, but I'm not really ready to go. Because there's some building that still needs to be done. There's plenty of hay, wood, and stubble on my foundation, I assure you. I don't need to put any more there. So I ask you again, how do you feel about what you've built on your foundation? See, we're all going to, when He comes again, and He said, let not your heart be troubled. I'm not troubled about going with Him. Paul made the statement, and he said to the church at Corinth, he said, knowing therefore, brethren, the terror of the Lord. And he was talking about the judgment seat of Christ for believers. He told, he wrote in one of his epistles, he says, we are laboring that we might be accepted of God. I know that's a hard concept for many people because the Bible says that we're accepted in the Beloved. We're accepted in Christ. But there's going to come a day when we, all your work that you've done since the Lord saved you is going to come under judgment. And it's either going to be accepted or it's going to be rejected. Now the Bible speaks of those who are going to suffer great loss. Great loss. It speaks of those who are going to be rewarded immensely. I don't know some folks, they think, well, you know, it's kind of shooting for a C average, you know, not falling behind, not showing off. We ought to. If you turn over to 1 Peter, I like how Peter wrote it. First Peter chapter 2. And notice if you would in verse 9. He says here, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should what? Show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. That's what he, we're, we're to do. 
And we're building on that, that, that foundation. I'm thankful that that foundation cannot be altered. But before we get to the tears being wiped away, before we get to the no more, no more this and no more that, none of this, understand there's going to be a judgment first. And I don't say this to scare us or anything of that. I say it because we believers need to be reminded. There is a judgment to come whether you've done good or you've done bad in this body, it's going to be brought to light. Think about that. Your very thoughts. How about our, our understanding and misunderstandings of things? How about the way that we loved one another? We've been dealing with love here for a while now. How about how we loved how about how we loved our spouses, our children, our parents, our brothers and sisters in Christ? How about how we loved the Lord? You think, you see, you think about that and you go, well, there'll be a lot of loss, isn't there? I know some, I used to have some friends in school. And I don't know how they figured it, and I, I don't obviously agree with it, but I mean, they calculated down to how many days, weeks, years, months, whatever, they were going to spend in purgatory. There's some Baptists who, ah, I think I'm going to get this crown, I'm going to get this crown. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if we get any, it'll be an act of God. If we get any of them. He's coming again. I'm glad He is coming again. And I look forward to it. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. I look forward to being with Him. I look forward to not being in this sinful body anymore. I don't look forward to giving an answer of so many things. But I want you to read with me here in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. It said, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. We know that's Christ. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, excuse me, that he hath raised him from the dead. We've been assured that he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And so for those of you who are not saved, knowing that Christ is coming again, knowing that He's going to judge you in righteousness, and the Bible tells us that your righteousness is as filthy rags. It tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. 
And you're going to be judged by the standard of righteousness, by righteousness Himself. You need to turn to Him. You need to repent. Just as the Bible says here, God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because He's appointed a day that He's going to judge the world in righteousness. Now I want to combine these two thoughts. And this is just one aspect of our duties as a child of God. You know anybody right now who is going to stand before the other judgment? You know anybody right now who's going to stand before the great white throne judgment? Maybe you need to go talk to them. Maybe you need to stand in the gap and warn them to flee from the wrath to come. See, that's, that'll build you some gold, silver, and precious stones on your foundation. But you go over here and you talk to them about the Lord Jesus and their need of righteousness, and that righteousness only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how Adam found it when he believed on God. That's how Abel found it. Cain, he didn't find it. That's how Abraham found it. That's how Noah found it. That's how everybody has found it. King David found it that way. That's how all the apostles found it. That's how you and I found it. That righteousness only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So, maybe we could go tell some folks about their need of righteousness. Everybody here who's saved, somebody dared to tell you that you needed the righteousness of God by faith in His Son. Somebody told you. Somebody had the audacity and the boldness to tell you you needed it. And we can do the same. Fourthly, last of all this morning, if you'll turn over to the 119th Psalm. Psalm 119. And I want to note verse 89. My last point, knowing what time it is, that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. There are a lot of books, a lot of, a lot of records, a lot of things that people have claimed to be revelations of God. But they all fail to pass the smell test. God is not divided. He's not contrary to Himself. He cannot lie. and he, 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 The Spirit of God, the Father, and the Son, they're all in unity with one another. And, and the Spirit of God isn't going to write one book and then contradict Himself in another book. And this, this one book, which is 66 books, 
is the most harmonious thing in all the world. Written by umpteen different authors, spanning I forget how many countries and miles, different centuries. And yet, it's the most harmonious thing we've ever seen in all the world. And the Bible says here in verse 89 of the 119th Psalm, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled. It's fixed. It's not going to change. And so if there's any book that's contrary to this book, it's wrong. It's just wrong. Doesn't matter if it comes from an angel, from someone who claims to be a prophet, from this, that, or the other, from some spirit. That's why the Bible tells us to try the spirits. And how do we try spirits? With this book. With this book. I wanna I wanna say this too, because I think it's worth being said. I don't know for other languages. <clears throat> but I can, tell, I can tell you this. For English-speaking people, everybody I've known who's left, departed from, gone away from the King James Version or the King James Bible, every one of them without exception, has departed from some aspect of the Word of God that they once held to. It is a slippery slope. And that, that argument of a slippery slope is undefeated. You look at the history of Israel and one day they woke up from the time they were with David till the time that God... Uh, uh, had the Babylonians come in and take them, how did we get here? It wasn't anything big. It's a slippery slope. And over the course of the few years of my ministry and listening to my father and him telling me stories about my grandfather, every church and every preacher who left using the King James Bible They all left something else with it. Whether it was the Lord's church, whether it was some salvation truths, whether it was uh, some eschatology, whether it was uh, they started opening up and and, and, pulpit affiliating with other, other people they wouldn't otherwise affiliated with, whether it was godly apparel, something else went with it at some point. Or it's compromises on marriage, compromises on this, that, and the other, and now today, after another group, another generation, you can't even recognize what that church used to be. And that old minister's family is it's nothing like what it, it could have been. I can't pinpoint for you why. I can only tell you it's what I've seen. I'm I'm not a I don't believe this book here, this 
this King James Bible is Holy Spirit inspired. I don't. I don't believe he inspired the translators. I believe he inspired the original writers of the Bible. And these men translated it. And for every language, the, Span- and the Spanish version, I know in South America, they use uh, the Reign of Valera, and they have a particular year they like to use. I don't remember which year it is. And it's, I, I kind of half-heartedly, jokingly referred to it. We have the King's Bible, they have the Queen's Bible. But you go into other parts of the world, there's a recognized Scripture just about every place. And you'll see in all those places, when they get away from it, that things go downhill real quick, real fast. And so, I, I just wanted to add that to the Bible is the Word of God. I can't, like I said, I can't pinpoint, but every one of them, I've seen them take other steps away from following the Lord and other things. They'll did not say, oh no, we're, we're closer to the Lord than we've ever been. Well, so you're saying the things you believed before you quit using this Bible were wrong? Well, I'm not going to say that. Well, how can you be doing two different things and they're both right? So, these are four needful things. As we see what time is. And there's great pressure on all four of them to depart from them. To depart from using that the Bible is the Word of God, using the King James. There's great pressure to about Jesus coming again. I believe His return is imminent. Amen. Amen. I don't believe that there's going to be anything... That's going to happen as far as the book of Revelation goes before He comes again. I mean, we're in chapter 3, verse 17, 18, where He's outside His kind of a church knocking on the door in some of these places. Because they put Him out. I believe there's a lot of pressure for folks to leave the Lord's church. I mean, there's a lot to even not even stand for Christ. Jesus is the Savior. So, knowing what time it is, it's time to double down on these things, as they say. It's time to be rooted and fixed and settled on them more than ever before. And not just to have them fixed in our heart, but that would be our message going out. That we would declare these things. We'll have a brief intermission. Let's try to start Frankie uh, 11, uh, 10, 10.05, I think, is what I want. No, 11.05 we'll start. Sorry. 11.05.